0: everyone, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church. This episode is part of our Romans devotional plan. As a reminder, this week we're going through Romans 8. Nick and Jill are going to do an overview of this chapter and review some key concepts so far, and then they'll go through some passages and highlight specific theological questions that could arise from the text. As always, if you have any questions, email us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening!
1: Hello, and welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. My name is Jill Reese, and I'm the research and project coordinator for our lead pastor, Nick Gibson, who is here with me.
2: Hey, guys. Uh,
1: Hello, Nick. We've been in the Romans 8 series on Sundays the last three weeks, and the last few weeks, we've also been studying Romans 5 through 8 through devotionals as a church. Today, in this episode, we're going to be talking about Romans 8 to give an overview of the chapter and to address some specific theological questions. Before we dive in, I want you to know that we've been getting general questions about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Spirit, and we're going to address those in a podcast that will come out in the next week or so. So we won't address all of those here. But let's talk about Romans 8.
2: And we are uh, Nick, we're hoping to have a special guest for that that you'll love.
1: Yeah. It's very exciting. Okay, Nick, why don't you give us an overview about Romans 8 and what we've talked about so far?
2: All right, I've been, I've been doing a number of shorter videos on Romans 8 and 7 also, and also 5 in the devotional drills videos, so you might want to check those out on our um, our YouTube um, video. Channel. Channel? There it is, channel. That's yep. the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, and so there's a couple things to understand about the overview of chapter 8. Um, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible for being difficult to interpret is the second half of chapter 7. Mm-hmm. And it is a chapter that talks about the inner, uh, like the inner turmoil in a person who, in their sort of inner being, sees that God exists and sees that His will and His laws and His demands and His moral seriousness is a is a very good thing. That He He God is what you the word we would use it for this is righteous. And so mm-hmm. God has these righteous requirements of humanity and God exists and is our creator and therefore is our Lord that is King over all things. And we see that, that that's good. And yet in us is still this thing called indwelling sin, which is inside of us, the desire to reject God's leadership and not to follow the, the demands of his righteousness. Right. And so, and so there's this huge war inside of us, that exists in that case. And part of the question of salvation is not just how does Jesus forgive us of our sins? But w- the question that comes after that is what is going to save us from this war inside of us? Mm-hmm. Right, the fact that on one level we see that God is real and that God is very good and that there is also a controlling rejection of that inside of us in indwelling sin, that sin is right there with us, evil is right inside of us, that the line between good and evil, Solzhenitsyn said, runs through the heart of every person. And so how does, how do we in Christ, or how does God help us delight in his truth, his righteousness, and in himself entirely so that we're not any longer enslaved in our behavior and our actions consistently under sin right under this indwelling Mm -hmm. sin that controls us and so romans 7 ends with this sort of really sad recognition and realization that we're in a wretched state right Mm -hmm. It it ends like this this is verses 21 to 25 these are short verses though so i find this law at work although i want to do good evil is right there with me for in my inner being i delight in god's law but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Right? That's the question. And that question comes out of all those verses. And then he answers the question in verse 25. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay. So we know that there's an answer and we know the answer is rooted in Jesus Christ, our Lord comes through him, but then there's one more verse before chapter eight starts where he goes back to the summary of what mm-hmm. he's saying at the end of chapter seven. So then he says, right? So here's, here's the, so yes, there's going to be an answer. I will be rescued from this body of death, but let's just be clear about what we just said before we go into chapter eight, which is I myself in my mind and am a slave to God's law. That is, I see that it should rule over me. It's right and it's good and it's real and God is real and it should rule over me. So, in my mind, what I know, I know that I should be a slave that is under the authority of God's law. He says, but in my flesh or my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. That is, in what I do, in like what my body mm-hmm. does, what I can get myself to do, I find myself under the enslaving authority of indwelling sin. Mm-hmm. And that is a wretched state. Okay. And the question is, mm-hmm. now what? And Romans 8 is an answer to that question. Now what? Right? How does God relate to us in this state? What happens when we find ourselves acknowledging God's truth and even receiving his justification by believing in Christ, but finding ourselves torn in two? Mm -hmm. Is that a necessary state of Christian faith? That we may sin the rest of our lives as though we're slaves to sin, Right, as though sin is reigning over us like a king even though we want Jesus to be our king until Jesus returns. Or is there a way that Jesus becomes king now? Does that make sense? hmm It does. So, yes. uh, so all of chapter 8 is answering that in various ways. Yes. So just as that's a good. side note, if you can hear my son yelling in the background, it's because he's on another video call with his homeschooling class while we're trying to record this video. So you may hear like a 12-year-old-ish boy voice and that's... <laughs> My son, Jude, who just cannot hold himself to be quiet. Yep. There you go. Okay. So, uh, okay. How, so that was we... framed chapter eight. If you get that straight, and so Martin Lloyd Joyne said it, said it this way Romans eight, or the end of Romans seven, is a, is a man or a woman trying to live out their justification in Christ, knowing God is true, but still being under the authority of sin in the body without mm-hmm. the spirit. That believing in Jesus without the Spirit, produces that end of wretchedness, which is why mm-hmm. your, your view of Christian salvation cannot simply be, Jesus died for my sins, therefore I am forgiven. That's it. Mm-hmm. Because if you know that, you will know God is righteous and God is real. And in the law of your mind, in the, how you think, you'll know that you should be subject or under that beautiful truth. And yet mm-hmm. what you'll find is, is that your body or your actual actions— your will and your emotions and everything that's bubbling up inside of you is a slave to sit and still. Mm-hmm. And and you, if you really see God's truth, you can't live like that. You'll see mm-hmm. yourself in a state of horrible wretchedness and slavery.
1: Mm-hmm. And we talked to review some more. We talked last time about the word law and how it's used several times throughout this passage. Right. And to speak to what you're Talking about that that ruling, the word law talks about is used because of the authority it has over us. Both the law of sin and death, right, and the law of um, of God, God's law. Yeah, Um, in this mm -hmm.
2: sense, law is functioning a little bit like civil law does, like in our like Mm -hmm. in our country right now. Like they, there's all this stuff that has authority over you that you don't even really think about, but it's controlling Mm -hmm. you. Like there's all kinds of stuff that you don't even find thinkable because there's a law against it. Like I, I don't, I'm not going to walk outside across the street and cut a tree down with my axe. Because that's, that's not, it's not mm-hmm. allowed, right? And I'm, mm-hmm. I may not need to do that, but the fact is I can't do that because I'm under the city law that doesn't allow me to do it. And so some, of those, some laws are just and good, and some laws are just present tyrannies. And in mm-hmm. this passage from verses 21 through 8, 4, the word laws used at least four different ways.
0: And mm-hmm. it's important
2: to, and if you don't pay attention to ha, that, he's using the word "law" always to refer to something that has authority over you. Mm-hmm. But the law of sin has has taken tyrannical authority over you mm-hmm. because it controls you. The law of God, that is His righteous requirements, has moral authority over you. And the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has the authority to save you or rescue you, like like somebody coming in and rescuing you from slavery. They have a liberator's authority. To mm-hmm. save you. And the word law is used for all these different ways in which we are under the control of something.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Right.
1: And then one more um, recap. The last few sermons, we've been talking about the three main sections of the passage and how the spirit sets us free. So that's from the law of sin, from the groaning of the curse, and then from finally from all trials, sufferings, and everything else.
2: Right. Yeah. So the first several verses, so in, in verses, verses one and two are basically the thesis of the chapter. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So mm-hmm. we feel a sense of wretchedness. Like even if you believe Jesus has forgived you, forgiven you, but you just feel still enslaved to sin, you might think God's going to go back on that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And you might think, well, I'm, I'm wretched. Like I'm, I'm, and because wretchedness isn't just guilt, but it's, it's weakness. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm in this state and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm, I'm too weak to change or to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so I'm lost. And so the, the yeah. assumption is that something that's in a state of wretchedness, that it's, it's broken and it can't be fixed. What you would do is you would destroy it. You'd condemn it, right? And so the very first mm-hmm. line is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. That that's not God's interest in our wretchedness. God's interest is not to say, well, I justified you, but now since you can't change on your own, I'm going to recondemn you. That's not how God perceived right. it. He says, no, I justified you because I intended to save you all the way. Mm-hmm. So you don't go backwards in salvation to say, oh, maybe I'm not justified. No, the point of justification is to clean the decks so that you can move forward in salvation, to reconciliation with God, and to experience regeneration, and all the rest of salvation. Justification brings you into all those things. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. then the second thing is, he says in verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So his claim here is that the exact wretchedness that chapter seven ends with the spirit frees you from. Mm -hmm. So the state, so there's a lot of argument whether or not the state in Romans seven is the state that Christians have to always live in or not. Is people argue, is this somebody who's experienced regeneration and salvation and justification or not? And the answer is it doesn't really matter. The answer is, is that there's only one remedy for mm-hmm. the slavery of indwelling sin. That there's only one. Whether you've accepted Jesus, whether you haven't, the domination of the flesh, right, has one solution, and that solution is the law of the spirit. That the Which Holy you need Spirit Jesus himself, have. right? Yes. Yeah. We'll get to that in this verse in a second. Yeah. But the, it is the law of the spirit who gives life, right? Mm -hmm. life is a gracious gift of the spirit and the gift of life through the spirit is like a law a real authority that could be authority greater than the law of sin and death and it can therefore liberate you from it you can be free right and it says that that is because through christ jesus the spirit of the law of life has set you free from, from the law of sin and death so that new law of the Spirit comes through Christ Jesus. So the Mm -hmm. only way a human person can be truly set free from life in the bondage of the flesh and indwelling sin, according to Romans and the scriptures, is that if by believing in Christ, we receive justification. And as we enter into that tornness, because our mind now delights in God's law, we then accept also this gift of the spirit as part of that salvation. And the law of the spirit, the Holy Spirit sets us free from the bondage to sin and death. Mm
1: -hmm. Right.
2: Yeah. And so Paul goes on in in verses three and four to say the law, God's God's requirements themselves could never do this because the Mm -hmm. law can't change you. It can only Mm -hmm. tell you what's right and wrong. So the law was powerless because it would say, this is what's right. But because the flesh caused us to want to do what was wrong. When you tell somebody who wants to do what's wrong, what's right, then you're really just helping them do what's wrong. And so Paul's like, yeah, the law couldn't save us because without the will to do the good, telling us what the good is actually can't save us. And so telling us the truth is weakened by the fact that we don't want to do the truth and we don't want to know the truth. So if you tell somebody who wants to do what's wrong, what's good, you really have told them what's how to do what's wrong better. Because if they have a clear view of righteousness, that means they have a better description of how to be wicked. And he's like, that's actually Mm -hmm. what we use the law for without the spirit, Mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy and sad, right? I have a, I have a question. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. So it sounds like what you're saying, if what you're, so it sounds like if what you're saying is true, that there's sort of, there's, you can also not fully experience the spirit. You can have the spirit, but not be fully experiencing the spirit.
2: Yeah, I mean is that in, what you're in some way, yeah, in some ways, a clear understanding of Romans seven and eight is what would solve the like charismatic, non-charismatic hmm. disagreements in the church. Like what does it mean to have the spirit and how does one walk in the spirit? And can you be a Christian and not walk in the spirit? So for a long time there have been there's been this category that's sometimes referred to as carnal Christianity. Well, carnal comes from carne, which is Latin for flesh, right? Mm-hmm. So in in Greek translated terms, it would be it would be fleshly Christianity, right? Now the question is, is there such a thing as fleshly Christianity, right? And so a certain group of Christians have always said, yes, yes, because if you accept Jesus, you're forgiven of your sins, you're going to heaven. And so no matter what else you do, salvation is a gift, you receive it. And so you're going to heaven, you're saved, but you may not live for God. And you may therefore in eternity forfeit rewards that you might have achieved or received for what you did in faithfulness, but you're still saved. Now, I, I don't think Romans eight says that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Romans eight seems to claim that um, you can't actually proceed in a state of wretchedness because if you right. do, um, it says, well, let's just read the, the passage. So in, in verses three to four, three and four, it basically says that the reason why God did it this way is that even though the law was powerless to make us good, That through Mm -hmm. the Spirit now, given in Christ, we can fulfill what it says in verse four is the righteous requirements of the law. So, by not being under the law anymore and under the law of the Spirit, the result is we're no longer a slave of indwelling sin. And because in our mind we delight in God's law, we actually fulfill its real requirements. Mm -hmm. So, even though we don't live actually under literally the statutes of the Old Testament law, we fulfill all of the righteous requirements built into that law that it was articulating.
1: That was justification, right? That's justification.
2: No, what this is saying is that we can actually do it now. Oh, I see. Okay. In the law of the spirit who gives life, if we're really free from the reigning power of indwelling sin, we can actually do everything the law required Mm -hmm. by the spirit and please God Mm -hmm. ourselves in ourselves. In addition to the fact that God, um, puts his pleasure on us or counts us just or justified in Christ's death. Mm -hmm. So what this is saying is, this is the doctrine of what Christians call sanctification, right? Being made holy or being transformed into the image of God, that being remade in us, like it says in Ephesians chapter four. So what this is saying is, is that if we actually receive the spirit, like we must, Right. If we live under the authority of the law, who gives life, we actually can fulfill the real requirements built into the law, not the commandments themselves. But if the commandment says, um, "Thou shall not kill," right, there's a certain there's a certain morality built into that, and that morality which transcends, which could you could make a hundred laws about. Mm-hmm. So the the literal word is ordinance, right? If you think of that in military terms, like a cannon fires a cannonball, right. The cannonball is the ordinance. It's the thing that's actually fired and goes out of the cannon, and the cannon shoots it, right? It's what it's what holds it and sends it out. Legally speaking, right? The cannon is the law itself, and what it's doing by by being a law is that it's shooting out into the world, the actual commands of righteousness, like what righteousness really requires, which it's hard to put words to it's everything. It's like everything that falls under loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God, let's say. So it's not just 667 laws or whatever you want to count the Mm -hmm. old Testament laws, but it's like a billion laws. Mm -hmm. Like, you, there's no way to make a law that covers all of the righteous requirements of God's character. That's impossible, right? And so, even the Old Testament law, which was quite extensive, only covered a, a few things, right?
1: For a specific but, context, too, and culture,
2: right? Right. It was yes. and it, yeah, right because mm-hmm. every law has to be inculturated in that mm-hmm. sense because of because of the context of morality, right? And so, but yet these righteous requirements or the ordinances of righteousness—that is, the, its real base moral meaning now we can fulfill in what other parts of Romans and other passages would call the law of love, which is empowered by the Spirit. So by giving us the Spirit and putting us under the power of the Spirit rather than under the power of the written Old Testament law, God not only makes it so we can follow a morality that's transcultural, so we're not not stuck under the cultural specifics of the Jewish law, but in addition to that, all of the moral requirements or ordinances that were in the Old Testament law but that could have been 500,000 laws Mm -hmm. carry forward into the teaching of the spirit. So we can fulfill them all. If under Mm -hmm. the spirit, we would live a life of love. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so therefore the spirit can be killed and the law can be fulfilled.
1: The flesh can be killed.
2: The flesh can be killed. Sorry. And the law can be fulfilled, even though we're under the spirit. Yes. That, that is a real, that is a really important point that comes from chapter eight, because God didn't give up on morality. It's not like Jesus died Mm -hmm. so that we could all be wicked forever. Jesus mm-hmm. died so that we could be healed from our sin and forgiven mm-hmm. of it. What we call justification, the forgiveness or being come to just yeah. and sanctification, which means being set apart or made holy, right? Mm-hmm. Salvation always must include both of those things. Now in verse five and following, he moves on and clarifies whether or not you can be a carnal Christian or whether there's just Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Look at verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Or or death is imminent is what it literally means in the Greek. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the, the, deeds of the body, you will live. Right? Mm-hmm. And then in verse 9 it says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That's mm-hmm. a really important verse. Mm-hmm. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Right. So, so what he's saying is, is he's is he saying Christ and the spirit go together because the spirit is, is literally the spirit of Christ. And so if you really do have Christ, then you have the spirit. And the idea that you can have Christ and you can walk in Christ, but have your mind set on the flesh, you can live according to the flesh and therefore have your mind set on the flesh, is not correct. That's, that can't happen. Salvation must have its results. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're not saved by the work of submitting to the f- Spirit, right? But we, you're always saved by the gracious gift of God. You're justified by the gracious promise of God you're sanctified by the gracious gift of the spirit
1: mm-hmm. and
2: you you can't reject the spirit and be a christian you can't in that sense be now if all you if all people mean by carnal christian is they sin at any point after they become a christian that is the flesh has victories after they become a christian then you can be a carnal christian it is possible to sin after you become a christian that's not crazy Right. The issue is whether or not the flesh dominates and has the yes, rule. Yeah. Right. And the As,
1: authority over you.
2: Right. John Wesley said mm-hmm. after salvation, mm-hmm. sin will remain, but it won't reign. Right. Mm-hmm. So the it doesn't have the full authority. It's still always pull it's still always fighting around the edges and trying to take some ground. And depending on how how much brutality we fight it with, it will depend on how much control it has over our lives. Mm-hmm. But Anybody who lives under the domination of indwelling sin doesn't have the mind of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And what this says is that you don't, you therefore, if you don't have the mind of the spirit in any sense, then you don't have the mind of Christ or the mind of the spirit. And if you don't have the mind of the spirit at all, then you don't belong, you don't have the spirit of Christ, and so you don't belong to Christ.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now you might be like, well, that's very terrifying. It is very terrifying, that's true. Okay. But it also could mean this. If you are dominated by sin, it might actually be that you're not saved, that you're not a Christian, mm-hmm. that you haven't experienced the miracle of regeneration. You haven't really put your faith in Christ and experienced justification. And, you, and that's why you're not, you haven't experienced any of this, right? And so the you would know where to go. Where you need to go is to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You need to really repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ entirely for salvation. Because your, your faith, it, you never believed really. Because if you never really believe, then your your inner spirit really never delights in God's law. You never really set your mind on anything different. And then it's no wonder that your mind and your heart and your will and your body are all dominated by indwelling mm-hmm. sin.
1: And that's also the solution for the Christian who who is saved and who sins again is to repent and believe again. Yes. So it's the same solution.
2: Yes, I think that's true. I do think, though, in this passage, that if you know that you are in Christ, mm-hmm. that the metaphor you start to think in is putting the flesh to death yeah, and putting on the mind of the Spirit and seeking what the Spirit desires. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ask yourself, well, what does the Spirit desire? The answer is going to be, well, look to Christ, the incarnate God, who mm-hmm. shows us what God does mm-hmm. and therefore wants. Who
1: embodies God's law. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. So when you try to figure out what the spirit wants, you're going to end up going back and studying Christ. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, everybody's going back to Jesus, but it, it is in slightly a different way. A different way. You have to know that you're in to proceed. Right. And if what you're but trying you also, to if you're trying to proceed and you're failing, then the question is: Are you proceeding wrongly, or are you not in? Right. Right.
1: You do have to know if you're in, but you also have to know that you're going to have to repent and believe you're gonna have to repent and confess over and over again still as a christian
2: yes at least in the sense of putting to death the flesh and putting on right. the spirit right yes
1: mm-hmm. yeah
2: repentance at least in like oh that was bad that's wrong not that way right not you like you don't need to be rejustified, but yeah I, right. yeah confessing sin and confessing what it is and that it was wrong and that you're going to go another way that kind of repentance is every day right
1: mm-hmm.
2: exactly yeah. Sometimes okay. when you say you have to repent and believe every day, people literally think you have to get saved every day, and that's just not the case. Yes,
1: that's not what I mean. I right. mean
2: the learning real, process yes. of repenting and believing mm-hmm. is critical mm-hmm. to our development. Is what you mean?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Agreed. Yes. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: yes. And then you'll yeah. see in verse seven, it, it says that if the mind is governed by the flesh, it's hostile to God. It won't submit to God, nor can it. Right. And those who are in the realm of the flesh, or who are under the flesh, cannot please God. It's really important to recognize that to be dominated by the flesh, you, you're going to be hostile to God. You're going to, you're going to get angry with him and flip out every time he tells you to do something. Hmm. You won't submit to his law. You won't say, look, I, I got to do this because it's the truth, right? The truth mm-hmm. won't have authority, right? And you will realize that you just can't. And if that's the case, then the answer isn't to, to try hard more morally. It's to repent and believe in Christ and to turn your mind to the mind of the spirit and away from the mind of the flesh. And, like it'll mm-hmm. say in following verses, to actually put the flesh to death. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. That's good.
2: All right. So, in verses 9 to 11, the emphasis there really is that the spirit is directly related to Christ. And so you can't claim to have Christ and not the spirit. And additionally, mm-hmm. right, um, the spirit gives the life of resurrection as well mm-hmm. as the life of being free from the law of sin and death. So, so when you get freed from indwelling sin and there's, there's a new reigning of the Holy spirit sin remains, but it can't reign anymore. It can't control you, right? You must give yourself to sin from now on for it to control you. Right. In that state, the life that the Holy spirit is giving is the life of righteousness, but he's also the spirit who raised Christ from the dead. So even though your body is still subject to physical death, your body is still subject to the raising of the dead with the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead. So the promise of resurrection and the life in resurrection and life in living out righteousness are bound together in the eternal life of the law of the spirit who gives life. Because when he sets you free from the law of sin and death, he's setting you free from sin and he's setting you free from death. And knowing that mm-hmm. you're free from both is meant to be incredibly freeing and incredibly motivating, mm-hmm. right? So that you can walk free. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't, don't have to be afraid of what you're missing out on in your life ever because it's not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in you ever, mm-hmm. right? And so as you as you experience freedom from sin and as you experience the beauty of the righteous requirements and how good and beautiful and lovely and enjoyable a thing righteousness is, and then as you realize that death is put away in the death and resurrection of Christ by the same spirit who is drawing you to God's righteousness you can just simply walk put your mind on and walk according to the spirit and in that sense the entire christian life could be narrowed down to just that simple thing what is what does it mean to live as a christian to walk in the mind of the spirit or to walk according to the spirit
1: except that isn't Simple because we all have so many questions about what it looks like. Right. The <laughs> yeah. statement is simple. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe it's true. But I, as you were talking, I was trying to think of even just little tiny thoughts, like anxious thoughts or a little tiny, mm-hmm. um, not even just things that our bodies do that I wish I didn't do, but right. things that I think and don't even realize I'm thinking because it's so, I've been so ruled by it up to this point. And what does it look yeah. like to continually put that to death? And what does it look like yeah. to, um, by the power of the Spirit, put that to death? Yeah, like I where? Think, how do we tell what the Spirit? I mean, right? I'm it would be so well,
2: much easier if all it meant to walk in the Spirit was, um, just listen to your inner voice.
1: Right. And it's not that. And people not get very that. confused, right. get very confused about what, if they're hearing is the spirit or not. And so.
2: Right. And, I, and I'm not saying that the spirit doesn't speak to us. Uh, I think that you, I think the spirit speaks in our conscience and in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I actually think that uh, th- later on in the chapter eight, it actually explicitly says that in this mm-hmm. chapter. um. But it, but it's more than that. It's it's recalibrating your conscience so that yeah. you can hear it. Because like if you if your conscience is too whacked, then you don't even understand what the spirit is saying. Like right. what he's saying isn't even it doesn't even make sense to you, right? And so and in some ways, like we all struggle with figuring out which voice inside of us is the voice of the spirit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the way most people do it, it they, and they don't think about it this way, but it's the stuff that seems most like the Lord. Right. Is yeah. The Lord Jesus or the Bible. They go like, oh, that mm-hmm. that really sounds like God. Maybe that's mm-hmm. that must be the Holy Spirit. Or there's some kind of drama that we create that like people feel like they really want to do one thing, and then they feel like something inside of them is saying do the opposite. And they can't think of what inside them would have said do the opposite. That sounds like a uh, like an uncharted voice. It doesn't sound like the voice of devils because it's not ro- a bad thing to do, and mm-hmm. it's certainly not their will. So mm-hmm. it, then, who? Where is it coming from? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's one way people feel like they can say that. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, there. That's. I think that happens for sure. But I also think that it's possible. I've also seen people engage in manifest foolishness by means of that Mm -hmm. way of thinking as well. Mm -hmm. And I also think it doesn't work later on in your Christian life as the Holy Spirit works in you because more and more the sound of your conscience is going to sound more like the Holy Spirit and the two may not be as obviously distinguishable as your Christian life advances.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in killing sin and the flesh in us by the spirit, what, what does that process look like? Because I, I think, I mean, I, I know what I have done, but it looks like um, confessing sin, I, which I know because of God's law, which is spelled out in the Bible and through the conviction of the Spirit. But then um, I think it then killing it looks like prayer for strength. Like there's multiple layers, right? There's like yeah. you, you need to pray. You need to ask for help from the Spirit. And you need to look to – um, the, the word to see what God's revealed will is but the spirit also helps us understand that and yeah. so I think what are, what are the ways that the spirit does work on our behalf in helping us kill in, in the flesh and sin in us like if it's not we can't, we can't always rely on it being a voice so what do we know we can rely on
2: yeah, I mean I mean so the the, the verse the verses you're thinking of here in verses twelve mm-hmm. and thirteen, verse thirteen says, For if you live by the flesh according to the flesh, mm-hmm. you will die. Literally in Greek it's your death is imminent. The next thing mm-hmm. is your death. Mm-hmm. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, or mortify the deeds of the body. That is this execute them. Put to death there means mm-hmm. to like execute in the judicial sense. Mm-hmm. Um so in one sense, I think so. In terms of biblical interpretation, right, the first thing you do is if we look at the wider context, does the Apostle Paul tell us what he means mm-hmm. by putting to death the misdeeds of the body? And the answer mm-hmm. is no. Right. Um, right. He moves, he moves on to a different, different idea um, mm-hmm. about how do we know we're children of God and, and some things like that, which we'll get to in just a second. But he doesn't really explain what put to death means, which means that he believes the metaphor is itself sufficient. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he would explain it. So – He wants you to picture the action of a judicial execution, like a crucifixion, let's say, where you nail somebody to a piece of wood and there's blood splattering everywhere and you're pounding in nails and so on, right? There's a certain amount of horrific brutality to that. And that's intentional, right? So he's Mm -hmm. saying that you need to attack the flesh and indwelling sin by the power of the spirit. That is whatever strength you find in you, right? It, by, according to the will of God, by, with everything you know about God, with everything you know about Christ, with every drop of faith that's in you, and with with all prejudice, you need to bash in the skull of flesh in as brutal and and definitive and complete a way as possible. In mm-hmm. um, John Owen, the great Puritan who led Oxford University for a little while, wrote a book called uh, um, Un- Mortification. Un- 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 Mortification of Sin of yeah. the Believer, right? Mm-hmm. And he's, there's this quote there, he says, if... If it's your job to kill someone and you're smashing their head with a rock, if you stop hitting before they stop living, you've only done half your work, right? Mm-hmm. And now a lot of people are like, that is so gruesome. That's so disgusting, especially for a, a religion like Christian faith that is so focused on peace and peacemaking. But the cr- Christian faith essentially argues that the only way we can have peace between us is if we have war against the infection and parasite of sin inside of us. Mm-hmm. Only when we make absolute war against the mind controlling parasite of sin within us, can we be bearers of the image of God and therefore love between us. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so our peace, external peace can only be made by internal war. Right
1: mm-hmm.
2: now that, so that's one step. One is to to change your attitude to that. So, when you feel temptations, you can't treat temptations like they're these long-lost friends that you want to show hospitality to, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I could look at a little porn. Or, or, oh, hi, anger. I've missed you. Yeah, you know, maybe I will give you a little bit of a vent. Or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, um, mm-hmm. the, the, if, you, if you don't treat sin as a damnable path to death, you will treat it with a certain kind of hospitality. You won't treat it like, like a executioner. The head an executioner has been looking for to cut off, mm-hmm. and sin always has to be the head that the battle axe you're holding is swinging for. And that attitude is so imp- critically important. That's why I talk about mm-hmm. spiritual brutality and the book substance. It's so critical. And if you get that in your mind, then you know the negative, right? The negative is you have to do that. The positive then comes in the following verses where he focuses on. Being, If you're led by the Spirit of God, right? This is verse 14. Mm -hmm. Then you are children of God.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Therefore, the Spirit you received does not make you a slave again to live in fear, but rather the Spirit you received brought you about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Right? So in Mm -hmm. those verses, what he's saying is, you have to change your whole attitude about God's disposition towards you.
1: Mm -hmm. Right?
2: Because fear, especially fear that flows from insecurity and inferiority, right? But you could also say, say fear that comes from pride, like feeling that you, you're you owed something and it could be taken from you. Those kinds of fear make you dangerous. They make you willing to do very indecent and ungodly things. And so handling fear is necessary. And so what he says is, if you realize that you've been adopted into sonship, in the masculine there um, affirms um, that you, you're you an inheritor, right? The reason why he doesn't can't say son, sh- sonship and daughtership there and the focus is the adoption as sons, the emphasis for son focuses the fact that you're an heir, which mm-hmm. every woman who belongs to Christ is. Every woman in that sense is God's son because right. every woman who accepts Christ and is his is an heir of everything to salvation. She inherits. I mean, God was the first both gender inheritor, right? Mm-hmm. In the ancient world and throughout time. He and he gives an inheritance to men and women that is of us being having the right of sons, whether we're male or female. And therefore we can come to God as our Abba Father, as our the one with all the resources, as the one who cares about what we have to accomplish. So as we're struggling in this war against sin, mm-hmm. we do so not under the fear that at any moment God will stop loving us because we've failed too much but we live under a state of absolute acceptance in Christ so that Mm -hmm. we can turn to God in any of our difficulties in this war and feel Mm -hmm. that we are worthy. He's counted us worthy in his love and that he has given us a spirit that makes us brave rather than Mm -hmm. one that makes us afraid. It's one that's at Uh, peace.
1: Yeah. And that's really important because self-condemnation should not be mistaken with repentance because then you're, you're not killing the flesh. You're, you're, punishing yourself <laughs> you're, you're like bashing your own head in instead of killing the flesh sin, right yes instead of killing sin
2: yeah god and doesn't so, want you to show you show him you're sorry by killing yourself
1: he already did that right that's yeah so we don't need to con- condemn ourselves and that's that's why the spirit of sonship is so important because right. of that love that's emphasized with that
2: Right. And then it says in verse 16, the Spirit testifies within our spirit that we are God's children. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, that isn't just the internal sense that you know, kind of know in your heart that you really are a Christian. But if you take that back to chapter five, it says that the Spirit um, is working in the demonstration of God's love in the death and resurrection of Christ. So mm-hmm. part of what that means also is what the spirit does is he keeps pointing you to the fact that the death and resurrection of Jesus is not just what purchases your righteousness and forgives your sins but it's also a social romantic demonstration of how much God loves you. Mm-hmm. So it's not just an mm-hmm. accomplishment, it's a show, it's an act, right? It's like it's like if you if so you if somebody you couldn't convince somebody that you loved them. And you did some very public, outlandish thing to try to convince them that you really do love them. Something so outlandish that they would never doubt it again. That's what the death of Christ is supposed to do. If you we really get it, mm-hmm. and the Spirit is trying to press that in us and help us see that, because the natural human thing is to hear about Jesus' death, that Jesus died for your sins, right, and be like, "Oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins," and it becomes a cliche, and in mm-hmm. the cliche it becomes a caricature, and it emotionally does nothing for us, right. What the death of in resurrection Jesus actually is, is this incredibly important dramatic event that's supposed to do everything for us emotionally. And yet it it tends not to because of how lazily and how compartmentalized we look at it. Mm -hmm. And so the Spirit is trying to help us understand that we're the children of God and we're the children of God in this dramatic way, right? And so therefore, if we understand that and that we are the children of God in Christ, like it says in verse 17, then even though we're going to walk through the sufferings of Christ we'll still know that we're going to walk in his glory ultimately. So Mm -hmm. this is now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings so that we can share in his glory. And so with the same path of Jesus is the path that we're taking because we're real children. And so later on, he's going to say, well, don't you see though the path of the real son was suffering before glory. And Mm -hmm. so therefore we can accept the fact that the real path of us as true children is suffering before glory. In fact, that suffering is in some sense necessary not to pay for our sins, but to do other things. For Mm -hmm. Jesus, it was to bring God's redemption to others, right? If our if the one who is now our father is the one who redeems men and women, then the minute we become Christians, whether we want to or not, we are children of the one who redeems people. So what is our work? Well, it's our father's work we're heirs we're we're part of this we're the prime minister's children like it's our job to be for the country mm-hmm. the kingdom of god and so the work of the kingdom of god is rede- the redemption of people and right. so and jesus was killed for that and we might be too but all of our sufferings have are pointed at these redemptive ends until our ultimate glorification and so if we know that then when we we do go through hardships we don't go oh well maybe god doesn't love me Right. The whole point of Romans 8 is no, 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 no. You're going to go through a lot and it's, Mm -hmm. it's all part of God loving you. Right. And you have to sort that out. Otherwise you'll get nervous. You'll be a slave again to fear. The spirit in you will be fear. And then you will turn to something that will minister to you to your fear, which is the flesh. And Mm -hmm. indwelling sin will say, well, I can make you feel better. I can do something for you. I can offer you a different kind of salvation and make you feel good. Right. And then all of a sudden, the thing you were supposed to kill is in charge again
1: Mm mm-hmm
2: yes so that's the argument through about verse 17 right right and then from verses 18 and following well in verses 18 and following there's a specific focus on how the holy spirit works in us directly Mm
1: -hmm. i thought so your sermon on sunday was about this section yeah i thought that was very helpful is there more that you want to say here that you didn't get to say in that sermon
2: Yeah, yeah. Probably. I'm sure there's always more, but there is. I mean, Romans is argued so closely, yeah. That it you read it and you're not used to it. You're like, Mm -hmm. this hardly even makes sense. (laughs) You know, as a person who has ADD and I think in webs rather than in lines, naturally, right? I love Romans because Romans feels like like if you picture a web and you're like drawing with a shark, you marker on one line mm-hmm. and then you switch to another direction on another line. And mm-hmm. then you switch. To, it's like, it feels like he's tracing the whole web and it's like, mm-hmm. it, it's confusing if you don't follow where all the strands are coming in from. And so right. you see it like as a person kind of trying to tell us everything we need to know about this huge complicated web that he can see that we can't see all of. It's so rich. And so every time you see a piece where you're like, well, you didn't really explain that. Well, but if you study the whole book in the whole Bible, actually, it's all there. Anyway, yeah. So,
1: yeah, you and Paul would have some really good discussions,
2: probably. Yeah, I hope that would be wise <laughs> enough to listen mostly. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, there's there's a big focus here on the hope of glory. And yeah. The hope of glory is glorious, mm-hmm. which is motivating for us. Being connected to the glory of God is part of what motivates you, right, mm-hmm. to serve God. But then, also, it's a hope we don't have it yet, and you got to you can't be like, "Well, I don't see it." Well, by definition, if it's a hope, you don't see it, right? He tries right. to clarify. It's like when people go, "Well, I'm I don't have all the things God says He'll give me right now, and I feel I don't feel any of the glory." Well, that's right, because the status of that is that it's a hope, so that's not an argument mm-hmm. against it, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's imp- that's all really important stuff. And then in verses twenty six and twenty seven, there is a specific part about how the Spirit intercedes for us in our weakness that in in because the specific question that comes up is this if we have a lot of indwelling sin in us and we're trying to be controlled by the spirit in the midst of all the confusion and craziness of a world that's groaning under sin we try to talk to god how is that going to be anything but blasphemy at the end of the day hmm. and how can god see see that as anything but us praying wrong right he says this, this, so in the same way our, the Spirit helps in our weakness, we don't know how we ought to pray or what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans, right? So the, the phrase wordless groans or, in, or incomprehensible groans is another way to translate it, means that it's pre-verbal. Hmm. So one of the things that people often say about the work of the Spirit is that the Spirit spoke to me. And there are places in the Bible where the Spirit speaks to people, and the Spirit definitely can speak to people. But here, where it's discussing the common work of the Spirit, what the Spirit is always doing in everybody who believes in Jesus, in terms of the inner life, (coughs) he's saying that there is a a pre-verbal or a deeper than verbal groaning of the Spirit inside of us, which is actually a kind of interceding the Spirit is doing to sort of correct or redirect or order our groanings so that when we transfer them into words they're kind of coming out of the right place or mm-hmm. even if we can't transfer them into words it's just the content right. of words, which is what the next verse says mm-hmm. right he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the spirit knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for god's people in accordance with god's will mm-hmm. now that doesn't mean that the spirit verbally prays for us what he's saying is that god looks into our hearts and is searching inside of our heart which is the, this pre-verbal part of us, right? It's out of, out of our heart we pray. So we come up with words for what's already in our hearts. So the Holy Spirit isn't telling us the words, in this verse at least, right? He's getting in our hearts with these deeper groans about the will of God and in relationship mm-hmm. to our weakness, and he's working in there. And so when the Holy Spirit looks into our hearts and says, what's in this person? What he sees there is the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit has gotten in there for us and is interceding. And so when God looks into our hearts, He that's what he sees. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit is then moving us towards the will of God, and that's what God requires and is looking for. And so when God yeah. looks at us and hears our prayers and so on, he finds himself pleased yeah, um, because, because of the Spirit, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So the next section in 28 through the end of the chapter, verse 39, as I was reading, I noticed that, the Spirit actually isn't mentioned? Um, And is that just my translation or is that true?
2: That is in fact the case.
1: That is the case. Okay. So, how is the Spirit at work in being more than conquerors, which is the theme of this part of the passage? And how does that tie into what he's been talking about so far? Right,
2: right. The emphasis still here is on how God relates to one who's in the state of wretchedness right? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Holistically. And so from verse, all the way through verse, what is it? 27. A huge emphasis has been on all these works of the spirit, but now he's coming to the point where he's explained all these different ways God is working both in Christ and in his spirit. Right. And now the argument is, is getting to the point of what is God actually doing for us? And in verses 28 to 30, he basically goes because you see, he's been talking about how we have to relate to the spirit right? Mm -hmm. And so you could start to say this after you read those verses, man, this is starting to sound like us earning our salvation again, Hmm. right? Everything Paul has said all the way through this epistle, he's been basically saying, you can't earn your salvation. It's a gift. God gives you the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but now we know we have to walk in the spirit. We have to put to death, the flesh or indwelling sin. Mm -hmm. And we have to, right. And you could be like, and
1: if we're not doing that, we don't have Christ. Right. He says that. Right. It's
2: necessary for salvation, mm-hmm. right? Or it's a, it's a necessary part of salvation, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a conditional confirmer, right? It's not a condition to be saved, but it's a conditional confirmation that you are saved, right? Now, so in verse 20, so in verse 28, he gets back to the emphasis on how this is all of God. Mm. The fact that you are participating in it and that you must participate in it does not take away from the fact that this is all a free act of the generosity of a loving God. So in verse 20, he says, and we know, right? The Holy Spirit points us towards the will of God. He says, and we know that God in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Right? So the, the reason why it's such a big deal that the Holy Spirit indwelling us is, is interceding in our weakness toward the will of God is is the reason that's important is because God is always working for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, right? His will and his purpose are essentially the same thing, what he desires and what he's working in his purpose. So by the Holy Spirit in our weakness, interceding for us and putting us in towards God's will, we move into this working that God is doing for those he's called to work for their good.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Right? So the Holy Spirit in interceding inside of us in our weakness is in, Is putting us practically into the, including us in the working out of the good of God in our practical daily lives. So that the good of of God we are experiencing is not just our status as justified, but that we're actually entering into God's providential workings by the Mm -hmm. Spirit so that we're right where we need to be as God is working his will so that everything is being worked for our good while he's working his own purpose. How do we get it so that our good and his purpose are getting worked at the same time? Well, only by the Holy Spirit in us overcoming our weaknesses, moving us towards an obedient heart so that we get in there where we're supposed to be in our lives. So as God works his purpose, it's always for our good, mm-hmm. right? Why? Because, is it because we're good? No, it's because we're called, it says, right? Which is the idea that before we ever did anything with God, God called out to us. That is, he got our attention. Right? It's kind of like your kids are in another room playing, and you call to them. They had no idea you wanted them. They had no interest in your will. They were not going to do what you said. You initiated everything of substance, right? And that's the point here, that we are called
1: mm-hmm. according
2: to his purpose, right? And then, he, and then in verse 29, he works this from this from calling all the way through to glorification. Because remember, the big hope is glorification. So now he wants to connect the fact that by the Spirit in our weakness, we're moved into the will of God— because we're called, but because we're called, we also know that God himself will take us to glorification because this is all of God, right? So he says, mm-hmm. for those God foreknew, so even before calling, he knew us beforehand. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So now you see we're predestined, but not just predestined to be justified right? We're predestined to be conformed. That is the process of sanctification itself. We, he, he called us and predestined us so that he could change us into mm-hmm. being what he, we were meant to be as fully human in the image of God, that is, into the image of the perfect human, the image of his son, right? Right? That right. Jesus might be mm-hmm. the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The emphasis there is, is that there's many of us who mm-hmm. are made into his image. There would be many brothers and sisters, right? And those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, chapters 3 and 4 and 5. And those he justified, he glorified. So those, mm-hmm. right, he, we'll get to that end of that final glory, which is still right now a hope, but here it's said so certainly that it's said in the past tense. Yeah, that's That, is, cool. that you're, you're already mm-hmm. glorified in the mm-hmm. sense that you're foreknown and predestined. God is doing this. Yes, you absolutely have to participate in it to be saved, but don't think that that's meritorious or that like you're some great person or that that's what separates you from all these bad people who aren't believers or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's not true. What's true is, is that God foreknew you predestined you. He called you so that you would be conformed in the spirit to the likeness of his son. And because he, that was his ultimate goal that you would be just like Jesus because of that. He predestined and called you. And then he justified you. Now notice here, the point he's one of the points he's making is your justification serves the purpose of your, of your, of your being conformed to the image of the son. Not the other way around. He doesn't make you like Jesus so that you could be justified. Mm. Your justification, mm-hmm. that is, your forgiveness, is not for the purpose of just for you to be forgiven. It is for the purpose that you could be reconciled to God, be his child, receive his spirit, and be transformed or conformed into the image of the most beautiful thing a human being can possibly be in full humanity, the image of his own son. So that he would right. be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, that you'd be so like him, they'd think you were his brother or sister, right? And because of that, you were foreknown, predestined, Mm -hmm. called, justified. And because you were justified, he will take you all the way to being glorified. That Mm -hmm. is your great hope. And so that claim that it's all of God again resets this notion that you can easily misunderstand the process of sanctification and think it's because of your work. It's not because of your work. You are not making yourself be sanctified. You are receiving the new spirit of the law Mm -hmm. of life. And then under his authority, you're just walking out what it means to have the mind of the spirit and to live according to the spirit. That's all you're doing. Mm -hmm. All the resources are from God. Yes, This is all Mm -hmm. still salvation by grace through faith. Mm -hmm. Right. But it will always produce the transformation of the soul and the works of righteousness. Always, always, Mm -hmm. always, always, always. God doesn't plant dead seeds, right? Is so, that yeah.
1: – do you have more to say
2: I always on that? have more to say. Go ahead.
1: Okay. So in the next few verses, um, he's, I'm going to read it, verse 31 and 32. He says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Is that – is the all things at the end of that those two verses is he talking about all the things that go along with justification in our salvation? So it's not just justification but it's the spirit, it's the it's sanctification. Is that what he's talking about?
2: Yeah, I think it's everything requisite for salvation okay. there, and therefore conquering and therefore ultimately glorification Right that every okay. everything we need from here to there, whatever here to there mm-hmm. is, he gives us. Right. Cause he's mm-hmm. saying this, he's like, listen, let's say you needed 10 things. Okay. They're all different. One is you needed somebody to let their, their child be killed. Now their, their child was willing to do it and they were, their child was glad to do it for you, but their own child had to be sacrificed for you to live. Right. If they are in that much. And then in addition to that, that you also need a shovel. You think they're going to be like, well, you can't have the shovel. right you see the Mm -hmm. the point of this passage is saying listen if god is in for 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 giving up his son on our behalf now jesus the son is perfectly willing but it's still a terrible thing and an incredible Mm -hmm. gift right and so god gives his willing son to be sacrificed for our salvation if god is in for that much how could you how could anybody think that he isn't in for whatever else it takes to mm-hmm. say this, right? That's why Romans 5 can talk about the death of Jesus as the great demonstration of the love of God, mm-hmm. right? The point here is, because what he's saying here is, is like, the main emphasis here is that the only thing that can destroy a believer or somebody who really believe, wants to follow God is the loss of faith, is not to persevere. It's the only thing that can do it. And so it, the, the sense of believing that like, well, God doesn't love me, like, like I like one of the things that happens to people is a sense of doom where they feel like they're just they've done something that God won't love them. And what the apostle is trying to say is, okay, okay, if this is the true gospel, what could possibly interfere with you receiving this salvation and this glory? What what could do that? Mm-hmm. Right, so you could say, well, if so, he's like, if God, if this God that we've just been talking about is for us, who can be against us? Right? Is there anything that God won't? Because um, the -hmm. the word the word translated for in verse thirty one is the Greek preposition huper, not the Mm -hmm. standard Greek preposition gar, and so huper is in this context means on behalf of. So in in so there in verse thirty one then verse thirty two, he did not spare his own son, but he gave up his him up for us all. That mm-hmm. four is also who pair on behalf of mm-hmm. us all. Right? And then in verse thirty five, more than that, he Jesus Christ more who died and more than that was raised to life, and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. That four is also who pair on behalf of us. So the emphasis of these three verses is, don't you see God is willing to do everything you can imagine on our behalf? He's doing it for us. He's on our side. It's on our behalf, right? Mm -hmm. And if he's doing all this for us, why do you think he's going to stop? Why do you think in anything that happens in human life, he would stop short of whatever it is we need, Mm -hmm. right? And the reason why Paul absolutely has to cure this idea is because people are going to get burned alive, Okay, mm-hmm. he's in Rome right now. It's arguable that this is either right before, or right after the, one of the Neronian persecutions. Um, Christians have been horrifically um, martyred and persecuted. This is going to happen throughout, right? And then, and, and just that people are going to face terrible, terrible. I mean, you could die of an abscess tooth in these days, right? Like mm-hmm. life is is not obviously God laying out the green, the red carpet for everything to go wonderful for you, right? Mm-hmm. And so. This idea, so, so you could say, okay, if God is for us, who could be against us? Well, in terms of power, nobody, God's God, right? And if he gave his son, there's, there's no issue with how much will he has in this thing. Okay, so well, right. then, then can something, somebody come between you morally? Mm-hmm. Can God be soured on you and see you as a bad enough person that he wants nothing to do with you? And he's like, well, wait, who's the judge here? God is the one who justifies. Mm-hmm. God declares us righteous. So how is any charge going to come against Who? The one whom God has, it says, chosen, mm-hmm. right? So the one God mm-hmm. foreknew, predestined, and chose, he's also now justified. So how is there going to be a legal problem, like that, that we're going to be re-morally mm-hmm. condemned when God is the one who's the just, the judge, right? And he's like, now in relationship, what about in relationship to condemnation? So, so if no one can accuse us, what about our deserved punishments, like being condemned, Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus Christ died for us, that is, died for our condemnation, Mm -hmm. but more than that was raised to life. Now, the emphasis here isn't on the fact that he was raised from the dead, and so we'll be raised from the dead. The emphasis here is the next line, and is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding on our behalf. Mm -hmm. So the point is, is Jesus died at the death for our condemnation, so he's been condemned Mm -hmm. on our behalf, so we no longer receive it. But in addition to that, when he was raised from the dead, he didn't just get raised from the dead generally so that he could like go on vacations. He was raised from the dead to go to the right hand of God, the Father, and be our interceding advocate. So who's mm-hmm. going to come and condemn us when we have a advocate literally at the right hand of God saying, uh-uh, no, 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 I took that condemnation.
1: Yeah, which so gets but, back at verse, that's answering verse, or yeah, verse 1, 8-1. One,
2: right. About condemnation. Right. So... For- God will give us everything we need. He's demonstrated that already because he gave us his son. What would he not give us if he's given his son? Well, okay, if he has the power and the willingness to help us, what if our relationship was soured by a moral conflict? Well, that's precisely what Jesus came to deal with. Hmm. Because he died for our sins and rose for our justification, God, the righteous judge, has justified us, and our condemnation has been put on Christ, and Christ is at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf in relationship to that condemnation itself. So mm-hmm. there's no, there is no way that we can be destroyed in our relationship with God because of our sin.
1: Does mm-hmm.
2: that make sense? So then the yep. question is, okay, wait, the reason that all works is because of God's character, his disposition, his love. So Paul says, okay, now what this really comes down to is this. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Because if Christ is the perfect advocate at the right hand of God, so that no condemnation can come and nothing can destroy our justification and God will give us everything that we require because he intercedes for us. Is there anything that can stop Jesus from doing that? Is there anything that can separate us from the love of Christ? Right? And then he says, and then the, question, the, question, the human question is, well, what in human experience makes you feel like Christ mm-hmm. doesn't love you or isn't really advocating for you? And the answer is pain.
1: Mm-hmm
2: right he says so he says shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or danger or sword that's a lo- that's most of the categories we're like well right now it's disease well disease is dangerous right, right. so mm-hmm. you could you could put pestilence right under danger mm-hmm. right so or and under and under all our economic things under trouble so can right. danger and trouble or sword violence where people come to kill you or nakedness, like you really, or famine, like you really running out of food and clothing. Like can any of that actually separate you from the love of Christ? Because if Jesus is advocating for you, why wouldn't he do it in such a way that you don't suffer trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword. Right. And then he says, but as it is written for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. That's a quote from Psalm 44, which is a very strange Psalm. In which the psalmists argue that God has allowed them to fall under attack and humiliation, though their boast is in God, though they, um, so it says in, in, let me find my note here, hold on, whoops. So it says they claim that they're in great trouble, right? They also claim that God is their boast. They call out to him to redeem him because of, the last verse says, redeem us because of your unfailing love. Right, but then it says in verse. I think it's in verse. Is it fourteen? I can't remember right now. No, twenty-two, where it says, "But we are like sheep, sheep to be slaughtered all day long." So you see what what that psalm is saying is, it's lamenting the fact that they're facing trouble and hardship and persecution, right? But they say, "We haven't forsaken your covenant. You are our boast." And then they say, "Save us by your unfailing love." So even in that psalm in the Old Testament, right, among people who believed that they were in the love of God, that God loved them had made a covenant with them, God was their boast, and yet they felt like they were sheep to be slaughtered. And then they, what did they call it to? They called out to God's love. Yeah. Right? That in the, all these situations, the, that wasn't proof God didn't love them. They called out that in these things, the only thing that could save them was God's love. Right? God's unfailing love for right? his, 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 his covenantal love. And so he says in verse 37, no, you see, in all these things we're more than conquerors. Now, the word conquerors is really interesting, right? The word conquer in Greek is built on the word nikao, which is where we get the name Nick, right? My name, which means conqueror or victorious one, right? But this word where it, see how it says more than conquerors, it's a cognate word. There's a preposition tacked onto the front of nikao, and it is the preposition huper on behalf of. Hmm. Now, in this context, huper tends to mean over top of. So we're over conquerors. We conquer. Oh, so we are more than conquerors is the English translation, yeah. but it's kind of interesting that that preposition who pair is in there yes. when it's been important in the previous verses. Right. Does that make sense? Your yeah, mic is doing really something. Cool. Oh, there we go. Oh. Your mic is doing something strange right now. Can anyway, you, is it, okay. it sounds better. I think you might need to talk louder. Okay. Anyway, the point is, is that he says, therefore, we're more than conquerors through the one who loved us. Right. And then he says, for I'm convinced. So now he's saying, the reason we're more than conquerors, he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And then that this is the kicker: that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is not just a tack on, mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, God loves us in Jesus. Everything's in Jesus. No. The, the whole point is, is that the people in Psalm 44 was like, God, are you there? Do you love us? Do you care? Are you going to help us? Why are we being treated this way? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is in all these things, in them, not from them, you're not conquered away from them, but in them, you're more than conquerors. Mm-hmm. And you are through Jesus Christ, our Lord, because in whatever happens in them, you'll walk in the way of Christ like christ and you will be raised like christ and glorified like christ Mm -hmm. and in all those things you will be a true son and therefore even though we do feel like sheep to be slaughtered all day long sometimes we are more than conquerors through the life death and resurrection of jesus as his true children because what matters about us isn't whether or not we get sick and die whether or not we face violence or persecution or famine, what matters is whether or not we're his, whether or not we're people of the spirit, with the mind of the spirit, who will never again be slaves to the flesh and indwelling sin. Mm-hmm. That's what—that's the difference in what matters about us. And that was because that was the difference about Jesus. Jesus was not a person who didn't get killed or right. persecuted or beaten up or hated. Jesus was a person who was like the father who died like the father suffered and loved like the father, and then was raised to the life of the father by the power of the spirit. And that is what he offers us. Nothing else. And so because of that, we can know that even when we're being slaughtered, we are more than conquerors. And if you can get to that place where even when you're being slaughtered, you're more than a conqueror. You are in the place that Hebrews two talks about where you have been freed from all your life being slave to the fear of death and people who are truly no longer afraid of death. The only thing they're they would be afraid of is to dishonor the one of whom they are, they are in his image by giving up the fight to kill indwelling sin and to not live under the life and peace of the spirit. That's their greatest fear, that dishonoring of their own soul and their own being. That person can do anything. Mm-hmm. Not even death can conquer them, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of conquering Paul is talking about. It's yeah. not. A, it's not a flippant thing.
1: Yeah, that's right. good. That's really good. All right. Well, I think we can wrap up, and you can check out the devotional drills videos for more of how to do this work of exegesis yourself and in um, breaking out. The words and the sentence structures and interpreting what it means for yourself. And that's on our YouTube channel.
2: Yeah. But. yeah. And I think you can work through each section of this and ask mm-hmm. the question, you know, what is it that I'm supposed to get from this? You got to make sure you focus on devotion. Like, are you finding hope in it? Are you thinking about how to see the glory? Are you reckoning with the fact that you're not being saved out of trouble? You're becoming a con- being made a conqueror in and through trouble. Like those kind of realizations are really fundamental because if you make them and you they really get down into your bones, then most of the troubles in your life really feel like flippant silliness. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, then you're not getting shook around by everything. And you mm-hmm. can actually be in the moment and choose how God would want you to be. You can be a person from a like a really strong center knowing that you are on the road to glorification chosen and loved. And that will make for a completely different life. Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of life that is yours. It's you're an heir to that life. And um, I just think it's critical for us to like, it's not enough to listen. Please don't be a hearer of this. Please don't have listened to an hour long podcast and then be like, Oh, that's nice. And then just flip to the next podcast. Right. If something doesn't reckon in you, then then the beauty and the gift of this you are receiving right
1: yeah that's good Makes sense. yep all right. all right thank you and we will see you guys next time sounds good
0: listening to this episode of the engage and equip podcast if you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org if you'd like to find more episodes you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast you can also find us on apple podcasts google podcasts overcast and other apps like that We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.